When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Sourcing Journal Radio. This podcast series is made possible by Alex Partners, a results-driven global consulting firm specializing in those, when it really matters, situations where how you respond to and take advantage of disruption will make or break the future of your company. The pandemic touched every part of the apparel business, from the global sourcing map to omni-channel realignment to the four-wall retail store itself. What was disrupted for the better? What will require a whole new paradigm shift? I'm Edward Hertzman, president and founder of Sourcing Journal. I am excited to present along with key executives at Alex Partners, a three-part podcast series that will address the findings of an extensive apparel business survey we conducted together entitled Fashion in Focus 2021, Investing in a Future Forged by Adversity. This survey report was gleaned from information provided by apparel and footwear industry executives on how their businesses have been impacted by the pandemic and what changes they have made to their operations to mitigate these disruptions. We hope this podcast series, along with the full report, will provide you and your team information that will help you build stronger and more resilient businesses leading into 2022. Thank you for tuning in. The pandemic propelled investments in e-commerce and omni-channel services like curbside pickup and expedited delivery to keep product moving and to cater to new shopping habits. But with this added customer convenience and connectivity between bricks and clicks comes increased operational costs in the form of shipping, returns, and more. Even though omni-channel offerings may be driving sales, the question is, what is the actual net impact on the retailer's bottom lines? In the second episode of this series, we'll cover the financial takeaways from the shopping shift where omnichannel development is headed and what will customers really want. Joining me to dive into this topic is Brian Eshelman, a managing director at Alex Partners with extensive experience in the end-to-end retail merchandising lifecycle, from planning and product design through sourcing, distribution, and online fulfillment. Brian also teaches retail merchandising at the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania. Brian, welcome. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Brian, let's start with the big picture. COVID obviously forced most of the business online. Many retailers were prepared with services like ship from store. Um, However, many had to catch up. Now, as we see stores open and seeing traffic return, where is all of this heading? You know, it's interesting, Eddie. Um, you know, we, as you know, surveyed uh, a lot of retailers uh, with the Sourcing Journal Alex Partner survey on this question, and the, the results were kind of mixed. You know, about half said that they see uh, e-commerce penetration as a percent of their total business being higher than before COVID, uh, but lower than during during COVID, which obviously, as you just mentioned, COVID really spiked up a lot of uh, online business by necessity. Um, 
but so half said they thought it would be higher than before COVID. Um, some said uh, about quarter said they would they thought it would be about the same as before COVID, and about 25% said that it would remain the same as they saw during COVID. So really a mixed bag um, in terms of where retailers uh, see this heading. I think what's certain and universal for all retailers is that e-commerce as a component of the business is no longer something that they can consider separately from uh, from retail as a you know a so-called largest store in the chain or other ways that retailers have thought about e-commerce before. And so more and more, um, even though the words omni-channel mean nothing to anyone outside of retail industry, customers and consumers don't even know what that means. Um, you know, retailers are certainly organizing themselves for omni-channel, thinking about planning inventory across channel, and really, you know, making sure that the customer experience is seamless between channels. So, um, you know, I think certainly that's here to stay, no matter what. And COVID accelerated that for sure. Absolutely. So as a follow-up, many retailers are reporting profits above expectations. And a lot of that is because of higher than usual e-commerce penetration. Um, and that they're saying is adding uh, to their bottom line. They're more profitable because of this uh, increase in on e-com. Well, you have been on the record um, saying that you are skeptical of this. And, and why is that? Well, one, um, the data from the survey, you know, kind of leads me to be a little bit skeptical. The The survey was kind of split on this topic, just like the prior, uh, you know, kind of question we talked about. About a third said that uh, their e-commerce business was accretive overall. About a third said it was dilutive uh, to the overall profitability. And the rest said they didn't know. And I would say that that group is probably the group that is telling the truth, at least most accurately. I think there's a little bit of window dressing, to be perfectly honest. You know, um, certainly being digital is cool. And, um, you know, reporting one's profitability and attributing increased profitability to more online sales, I think, is, you know, good for managing expectations with the street, et cetera. But it is a hard uh you know, tangled web of costs and activities to untangle and really truly understand. So I think those that say, like I said, that they don't really know are are probably, you know, closer to accurate than those that certainly say that uh, that it's more creative. You know, the bottom line with e-commerce business is it's a linear cost model. You know, stores are a fixed cost. You have rent, you have, you know, by and large, uh, fairly fixed labor costs there, and you can run more sales through it and get leverage. Online, that's not the case. Every sale requires a pick. It requires a shipment. Um, and, you know, we'll talk about returns perhaps at some point today. You know, those things add up quickly and are, you know, generally dilutive to profitability. Mm-hmm. So during the, the pandemic, there was a lot of duct taped omni-channel ta- tactics that had to be deployed, obviously, to keep up with the increased demand and the changing ways in which consumers had to, where they were forced to shop. But do you expect services like same-day shipping, free returns, et cetera, to last going forward? I mean, you just you just mentioned it before, but you know, can retailers truly afford to continue servicing the customers this way? Yeah, I think there was a lot of very admirable and amazing um, efforts undertaken by retailers during the pandemic to you know keep their customers, their employees safe, and to still service the business and do that in new ways that you know some of which will last, some of which won't. You know, I think that many times retailers today are are really chasing every one of these options kind of equally. You know, they all feel like they need to have 
uh, a buy online, pick up and store capability. They need to have curbside. They need, you know, two to three day or even faster shipping. And I would say the fact of the matter is if they talk to their customers, they'll find mixed reactions to these services um, and mixed reaction to the need for the, for speed. You know, in some cases, consumers would rather know when something is going to arrive with precision rather than know it's going to arrive today. And so, you know, I think really understanding what their consumers want, what their customers want, needs to be first and foremost in where to make investments in sustaining those different services or perhaps, you know, pushing them back into the background a little bit. I think the other reality is that brands and retailers are kind of two different groups here. And brands that are going direct to consumer have a different economic structure to deal with. And, uh, you know, direct to consumer business is, in fact, accretive for them. And so we have that dynamic going on as well. So I want to go back and talk about returns a little bit more. It's becoming a bigger and bigger headache for retailers, especially as consumers increasingly buy online and then return it in a physical store. Then obviously the retailer has to figure out if it goes back to the D, to the DC, if it gets sold in that specific location, if it doesn't match other store inventory, does it get marked down? It feels very complex and of course expensive. What is your advice on how retailers should should tackle this? Yeah, again, you know, like you just said, this is certainly a conundrum for retailers. Um, you know, an increase in e-commerce almost by definition translates to an increase in returns. Um, and in-store returns are, you know, certainly messy and hard to deal with from an inventory perspective, but they also have the benefit of being a much higher conversion opportunity than uh, than an online return. You know, just a simple ship back to the distribution center can be because if you're in the store uh, and you have a return in hand, that can feel like you're walking in almost with a gift card to spend. So, you know, that that traffic does tend to convert a bit more. You know, I think that here again, retailers really need to understand the true costs and benefits of these transactions and start to use things like different uh, promotions and incentives with their customers to guide them toward the best, uh, you know, kind of outcome from an economic perspective for the retailer. So if bringing returns back to the DC is better for the retailer, then make that free. Um and you know, try to incentivize the customer to take advantage of that option. So in the survey, we asked retailers about their knowledge of a store's true profitability. 60% said they understand it well enough to influence store decisions, which seems pretty high and contradictory uh, to your point of view. You want to talk about that? Yeah, I think that... Um... I think this is a kind of uh, fallacy of, of averages or retailers thinking too broad brush about this topic rather than diving into the details. Because I think different stores have different purposes in a retailer's you know, network, so to speak. Some are flagship, some are you know, kind of mall-based, some are off-mall, some are outlet stores. Each of those play a different role in e-commerce and should play a different role in e-commerce and have different, uh, you know, economic uh, motives and reasons for being. And so a flagship store maybe by definition isn't profitable. You know, it's, it's a marketing endeavor uh, by and large, whereas maybe a, a second tier mall store needs to be profitable in order to survive. And I think, you know, really understanding 
the characteristics of each of those stores and store types and, and holding them to a model that makes sense um, for that role is, is most important. And we've put together a uh, concept that we call omni-economic value that is a, a rigorous kind of approach to valuing every store in the chain and understanding its contribution to the, the overall omni-picture. Brian, you, you just mentioned this term. I haven't heard it before, omni-economic value. Um, kind of piqued my intellectual curiosity. Can you just elaborate? What is this? Sure. Uh, happy to. Um, so many retailers, when they're evaluating their stores and their store network or their store fleet, have traditionally used a four-wall profitability metric that really values um, the sales and costs of the store itself um, and doesn't uh, really take into account the role that the store plays in the omni-channel network. So while it may include sales that are from ship from store or other online um, orders that are otherwise fulfilled in the store, um, it typically does not include a uh, a value for the fact that a store in a market actually does generate traffic to the online site. Um, stores that process returns have a higher conversion rate than other methods of return. So there are ways uh, that we have developed to really quantify what we call hidden costs and hidden benefits of a store to get a much truer picture of the economic value of the store in the Omni network. So we coined the term omni-economic value to uh, be shorthand for that kind of new four-wall contribution metric that's inclusive of those Omni costs and benefits. Well, makes makes a lot of sense. I, I appreciate you um, explaining that further. That's kind of my follow-up question is, I, I think the KPIs that, that retailers use have to change, right? Um, a location may be valuable as a fulfillment center. It may be valuable for returns. It may be valuable for BOPIS. It may, it may not just be the amount of a merchandise leaving that physical store via people walking in and out. But the question really is, you know, what is the role of the, the department store in the future? And it seems like if it's only to sell other people's products, you could be in a little bit of a, a antiquated business model. Um, do you agree with that? I think that um, it's certainly a danger. And I think that department stores in particular, selling other people's stuff, as you said, is you know something that um, you, know, you need to understand what value you're adding. And the consumer, more importantly, needs to understand what value you're adding. I think it's back to basics. I think a department store really is a curation engine. It has a um, you know, it has a target customer set. It really needs to understand, and there's more and more ways to do that, understand its customers, you know, from a really sort of data-driven perspective, and then make sure that they're editing an assortment um, and able to match that assortment almost on a one-to-one -one basis down to that customer um, in a way that makes life easier for the customer and puts the department store in the position of being a kind of valued advisor to their consumer or their customer along the lines of fashion or product or price or quality, you know, whatever drives that consumer's decision-making process. So I think curation and assortment, um, targeting that customer, you know, needs to be the space that a, um, you know, the department store lives in, in the, in the future. So Brian, I have one last question, a uh, little off topic, but certainly of the moment. Um, what are your thoughts on retailers spitting off e-commerce units into separate entities like SACs and the pressures 
the wishing Macy's getting today. You know, I'm not a fan of it. I know it's it's, it's great for the street. It's great for you know those that are going to make money on the stock valuations and whatnot. But I don't know. It doesn't sit well with me. To me, they're they're so tied together in 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 as as a unit moving forward. Is this just a get rich quick scheme? developed by these retailers to make money in the market? Or do you think this is fundamentally sound business? I think if the motive is get rich quick, um, then I don't think it's, I don't think that's the right motive. And I, I would agree with, I think what I'm hearing from you in terms of that sentiment, I think done well, this kind of approach um, is really about making sure to um, attract, you know, new capital into the digital side of the business in a way that might unlock uh, sources of capital that might not be available um, to a to a business or a retailer that's seen as kind of you know too heavily weighted towards brick and brick and mortar or you know traditional business models. And so it's tapping into that kind of investor mentality around growth of the digital business um, and and providing the returns that those investors uh, want to see with that growth. But you're right, from a consumer perspective, customer perspective, uh, they are inseparable. And one of the assets that a traditional retailer has above and beyond a digital native retailer is the store um, and the ability to have the experience and service levels that the store provides. So I think really, if it's done right and done well, it helps a retailer to focus its investment, both frankly, on the digital side and and what it's going to take to grow, um, including attracting talent. Um, and then on the on the bricks and mortar side, ensuring that that side of the business is really all about the experience and the service level that, that stores ought to be able to provide. I definitely agree with you there, Brian. I think it's going to be very interesting to see what happens with Macy's and to see if this trend continues with other retailers. Are they going to get pressure from activist investors and boards to split apart or are they going to stay together? Um, as always, it's, it's always a pleasure to connect and, and converse, and I appreciate you taking the time to join me and Sourcing Journal. Uh, for everyone tuning in, thank you for listening. If you missed it, listen to part one of our series that explores supply chain risk mitigation, and stay tuned for episode three, which will cover how to improve the inventory planning process. Take care. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.